Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Well, welcome everyone and thank you for joining. We are um, very pleased to have with us today Indy Young. Hello Indy. Hey Steve, how's it going? I'm very well, thank you. Can we begin? Whereabouts are you joining us from today? I'm in San Francisco or uh, actually just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Nice, that's a nice part of the world. Mm, as is the part of the world you're in. Well. I get to live in Sydney, so I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate there. Now, you were just telling me, and I'll, I'm going to ask you the question again so that you can explain it to everybody. You're in the process of writing two books. Can, yes. you, can you tell us why and what they are? <laughs> so the, the main book that I've meant to write for probably three years, uh, maybe longer, is the book about thinking styles, the book about archetypes that are not horoscopes, that are not demographics related, so that we can uh, take a look at how people uh, philosophically approach purpose that they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those differences in philosophic approaches and find those patterns and, and speak to those patterns and support those patterns differently. Okay. Um, and um, that's going to be a bit of a thick textbook. I just recently did a poll and like, do you want this to be like a convince your boss book or do you want this to be an exactly how to do this book? And everybody's like, you've got to tell me how to do this, but also tell me how to convince the boss. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as a part of it, uh, use data that uh, comes from listening sessions, from, from the ability to listen deeply to someone, to get past the surface to the depths, so you understand their inner thinking their emotional reactions and their guiding principles um, that actually went on in their head as they were trying to accomplish that purpose that you're interested in. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, there's another whole book in here. And in fact, I had just uh, rewritten half of my original mental models books okay. for Wisenfeld Media as a second mm -hmm. edition, but that mm -hmm. fell through. Uh, so I'm like, you know, there's a whole other book in here. I turned all of that that I did for Rosenfeld Media into a mm. series of courses online. Okay. Um, so there's 10 hours of teaching people how to listen deeply. Oh, wow. Um, it is a deep subject. Um, <laughs> sorry. But, um, but the, the idea of introducing people to it enough so that they can think about and gather data for thinking styles, mm. um, it either like makes that book even thicker or as my editor pointed out, people love thin books. Why don't yeah. we take that chapter out and make it its own book? Mm. Um, 
uh, I'm not going to do the whole 10 hours, just uh, two and a half hours worth of it um, as kind of an intro, a, a graspable, you can read it in, I don't know, 50 pages yeah, wow. um, and get the idea uh, mm. well enough that, um, that, that you can get somewhere with it. Uh, so that's why two books at once. Uh, she's saying that thin books sell. Um, and uh, I hear from people that they love thin books, but they're telling me they want the big textbook. <laughs> they want the, the thick one as well. It's yeah, a, they want their cake and they want to eat it too. <laughs> sure. I'm surprised that people just didn't come back and say both. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yes. And what would you, what would you prefer this one or this one? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that notion of thinking styles is an interesting one. We've um, uh, a, a little bit of work we've done at Melt Studios um, has focused on a, a notion of mindsets um, in the context mm -hmm. of transport and, and transportation decisions. Um, one of the things that we've identified there is that those uh, thinking styles, or in, in our case, what we were thinking about as, as mindsets, um, can change depending on the yes. circumstance. So yes. it, it, it's it's me and my context and yes. my need will lead yeah. to a different way of thinking. Is that? I, I'm, I'm assuming that's absolutely something that you're going to be you're going to be covering. That's absolutely something that I'm going to. This is basically the same words I use. One of the things I keep telling people is. You don't have to adopt the words that I use half the time. I make new words so that I don't have the baggage and the confusion that people, they're like, well, how does this compare to that? I'm like, you don't have to compare it. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, what I, one of the studies that I did was with the airline. Um, okay. You said transportation. So yeah. this was, we did eight studies um, and covered different parts of the purpose that was not only related to what the airline could provide, but what uh, different purposes that people had sort of outside the airline, like mm -hmm. make sure I get back in time for my daughter's piano recital, that kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, real, real things that go through real people's minds. And we, we, um, we were fascinated to find that the thinking styles came out of that. There were four of them. The, the okay. airline itself is like, Hey, our biggest um, it comes from business travelers. We love business travelers. Business travelers are people traveling for business on short, you know, hops and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so they had all this market data around it, but they had no idea that there were different philosophic approaches that yeah. change by context. Interesting. Exactly what you said. Uh, I see so many companies who are making personas and make them into horoscopes. So like... Nice. The business traveler is always taking carry-on luggage and loves this style of rollerboard and, you know, all this other stuff. And it gets into, like, the coats they like to wear and what have you. And you're like, ah, hey, you know, <laughs> mm. yeah. this is not about, not so closely related to the purpose. And um, when I did this, we came up with four different thinking styles, one of which was just get me there. Right. Make it as fast as possible through the airport fast through the connections fast ground transportation fast what you know whatever it is just get me there um versus the frustrated okay and it's interesting because at first the airline team wanted to call the frustrated the grumblers 
these are the people who are not happy with the thing that happened, like the delay or the seat change or the fact they didn't get their upgrade or whatever, right? And when they started writing that description up, uh, they said, oh, these people also yell when they're in traffic jams. And I'm like, okay, hold, hold your horses there. <laughs> has nothing to do with the purpose of getting from point A to point B in a plane, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's making them sound like it's their personality. It's like their horoscope. Yeah. Yep. You are an Aries, and so you yep. act this way in all these situations. Yeah, so mm. it's exactly what you said. It has to do with the purpose and the context. And one of the very interesting things is that a person can be a just get me there, uh, whether they're a business traveler or not, and on one leg switch suddenly to a frustrated I made them change the name. What we did was we went through the transcripts and we're like, what, how do they describe themselves? It has to be a name that they would be proud yeah, to yeah. use yep. to describe themselves. And mm. all of them said frustrated a million times. So, so here's this business traveler, right? Um, maybe they're not business traveler, but they're just get me there. Just get me home in time for my daughter's piano recital. And yep. I left four hours leeway and we're delayed. And then we're delayed again. And now it looks like I'm not going to make it. And now I'm frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, and that becomes a context switch. Yes, Right. Same thing. Same yes. exact thing. Well, yeah. and, and, and what's happening there is in that moment is you've got the same individual who's now going to be engaging, behaving, perceiving um, the quality of the service and the, you know, the level of attentiveness, your sense of urgency, like all of those sorts of things in very, very different ways. Yes. Before, yeah. you know, like 15 minutes ago or an hour ago, they were they were one. Um, those those seem to me to be much more useful tools to design to. Yes. Yeah. What I would like to see is different solutions for different thinking styles plus contexts. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, if you notice somebody has switched into the frustrated thinking style, mm. say you're the gate attendant, right, and this person is laying it on you, <laughs> so to speak, right? Um, most of the time, those people, uh, the gate attendants are trained to just turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I hear it all day. Just turn it off. You're not a person. Yep. Um, we can't do anything about it. Um, but instead, if you recognize that change, one of the things that you can do to respond is like, uh, you know, hear, hear that, oh, you're going to miss your daughter's piano recital you know, this sounds like an important event to you. Get a little bit more information about the event. Offer mm -hmm. uh, ways that she could attend the event remotely. Um, or, you know, contact your partner and see if they'll videotape it for you. Or, you know, something like engage. Something. Um, and that mm -hmm. turns it into a completely different conversation. Mm. Right. Yeah. The person, the person is still in the thinking style of frustrated, but you are recognizing it and she is feeling heard mm. which is the thing that we use empathy for yes now you've you've uh spoken and written about empathy before um we we often think of empathy as 
uh, thing, but there are many different types of empathy, aren't there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I've got this list on one of my slides of about eight different longer words for empathy that are used in psychology and therapy. Mm. And they're, I mean, they are each a different type of empathy. They're each totally valid. Nobody in that field argues about mm -hmm. it, what the meaning is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and empathy is a shorthand for any one of those. Yep. Okay. So when we hear each other say it, it's good for us to figure out which thing we're using it as a shorthand for. Mm. Um, it might be emotional contagion. It might be um, empathic listening, which mm -hmm. is what Brene Brown talks about in a lot of her work. Yeah. Um, it's, it might be cognitive empathy, which is the kind of empathy that I work with when I'm in a listening session trying to develop that a deeper understanding, trying to get at somebody's inner thinking, mm -hmm. their emotional reactions and their guiding principles that went through their head as they were trying to accomplish a purpose. Um, and that depth and telling the difference between surface level explanations, how and what, mm -hmm. uh, preferences and opinions that probably have guiding principles or emotions under them, um, statements of fact, generalizations, even conjecture, that's all at the surface. Mm -hmm. And most of the understanding that we have of the people that we're trying to support with our products and services um, and processes is at the surface. Mm. So we're not understanding what's going through their mind as they're trying to solve this. And I just finished doing a podcast where several people were like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, well, that works for B2C, but I'm in B2B. And people just, you know, they're just doing the thing that they, they have to do. They don't have a purpose. And I'm all like, okay, <laughs> like if they have to measure how much of something disappears over a week, they measure it before, they measure it after, um, and they report that, but, you know, what's their purpose? Their purpose isn't to report it. Their purpose is to predict how much to buy or their purpose is to figure out if it's being stolen um, or being wasted or, you know, is there a way to make it more efficient? There's a purpose yep. involved. And I think the purpose, uh, if we just apply a frame of purpose to every single study that we do, no matter what it is, mm we will start to see better data. I believe this even of quant, when you do quant yeah. analysis, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it's coming from the frame of here's our feature. Yes. Yep. Right? And how are people using our feature or going past our feature or, you know, whatever. How <laughs> much do they like our feature? Where are they dropping off from <laughs> um, our feature? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, but instead, if you look at it from the point of view of a purpose, um, which is a little bit harder with quant sure. because you can't, you don't know what person's purpose is, mm. um, but you can marry it with your qual, with your um, ethne research where, you know, you get on, you interrupt somebody in the middle of the process and they're like, what are you trying to get done? And there's your purpose. And then mm -hmm. you follow them through. Mm. Um, there's ways to marry it together where all of a sudden, um, we're going to start to see a clearer picture of how well we're doing mm -hmm. in helping a person accomplish their purpose. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if Facebook, um, I'm, I'm totally guessing, but let's say Facebook is divided into the group of people who are supporting advertisers mm-hmm. and the group of people who are supporting the people that you need to attract so that the advertisers have someone to sell to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two totally different focuses. Now, the group of people who's focused on supporting advertisers probably knows a lot and have done a lot of research about what goes through advertisers' minds as they're trying out different campaigns, as they're experimenting mm. with the new ways of marketing and, and things. They probably have tons of data there because mm-hmm. that is how they make their money. Yep. Um, with respect to attracting people, uh, engagement, right? Mm. Um, that's all they measure. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. They're, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's not designed to support somebody who, um, I, I don't think they, I don't know, I don't know what's behind the, the firewall there, sure. but I, I don't think that they've done studies about how to support somebody um, persuading somebody else to believe in uh, some sort of a story. Mm-hmm. And right? you, I, I'll, I'll pick up on that word and I'll come back to something you were saying earlier about that deeper sense of purpose and getting below the surface. Is that I, I think that allows us, that deeper understanding allows us to construct better narratives about our product and service um, and the people who are using them in a way that gets us to a deeper level of understanding and need. Um, in what we're designing and, and, and how we're actually delivering something out into the world. Yeah, it's a more human level of understanding. And mm-hmm. more importantly, it's being able to take responsibility for not harming people. Mm. And by harm, it can be something mild, like frustration that... Uh, there's something called bright sellers that um, tries to deliver wine to your doorstep and they have this cute little quiz that they're advertising. When you look at the quiz, um, if you're not, you know, somebody who drinks cocktails and juice, um, you will think, well, this company is not for me. It's not meant for me. Okay. Right. So that's mild harm. Yeah. yeah. Just, that's yeah. not me. Right. But there's also systemic harm. Yeah. Right. There's, like systemic bias and discrimination built into a lot of our systems mm-hmm. um, where the assumption is somebody is uh, wants X, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And we're just going to do that. And they have to think the way that we think. And yeah. to accomplish what they want to accomplish, they have to go through X and mm-hmm. feel rejected and unwelcome while they're still accomplishing X. I, I don't know whether you saw recently there was a case in um, the Netherlands, I believe it was, the Dutch government resigned. I think it was the Dutch government. Yes, the Dutch government resigned after a government program of debt collection uh-huh. um, was identified to have this sort of inbuilt systemic bias to it where they were targeting particular types of groups 
um, who were suspected of having been overpaid a government benefit. Um, and they, you know, they put in place this data matching program where they went and, um, you know, sent letters out to these people and said, you owe us money, um, which caused a great deal of distress. Um, marriages uh, broke up, you know, like all of this kind of thing as a result of it. And the government resigned. In, in Impressive. Response. Um, right. Which is, on the one hand, you know, just an example of a, a poorly designed service, um, which is not sort of thinking through some of those deeper levels of, of what are right. we doing here. But on the other hand, an example of actually taking responsibility for a set of actions um, and owning, uh, owning the outcome, um, which is something that is incredibly rare. Um, we have a, a, a real uh, dearth of it in Australian politics at the moment, and I know like recent events in America um, sort of highlight a similar sort of lack of, of uh, ability to take ownership. But um, the service itself is one where there was clearly a bias at play. There was clearly, you know, the, the design of the algorithm that was doing the data matching was such that it was... Um, focusing on immigrant families rather than, um, you know, what turned out to be Dutch-sounding families. Um, and that was the way in which they were going out and uh, requesting wow. this money. Wow. Now, how, how, though, is resigning taking responsibility? So these are government ministers who said, ah. yeah, so this was, this was the cabinet. So the entire cabinet stood down. Um, in response. And somebody else stepped up to well, take they've, responsibility? Well, they've gone to an election. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Mm, so okay, care, all right. Caretaker government in, in place and they'll, they'll go and have an election. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's one of those yeah. things where um, I just, it, it, it speaks to that issue around bias um, and that mm -hmm. issue around the sort of the systemic nature of bias and how it can come through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not a, um, I mean, just something that's definitely become more obvious during this pandemic is it has been this obvious to many people in our societies for decades. And it's just now like starting to become uh, something that people who are lucky enough to be privileged are aware of. Yes. 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 I think that's a that's an, an interesting observation and it will be interesting to see how that plays out in terms of does that recognition of privilege stay with us? And I say us because I'm well and truly on the privilege group and on a lot of these issues. Um, being white and male and from Christian background and educated and the rest of it, like I've got layers and layers of it um, mm -hmm. to, to uh, take into account. But having been made aware of it, what do we do in response to it? Yeah. And how, how do we start to act in response? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to give people tools to do. Hmm. So the thinking styles uh, are one response that is I mean, my main solution is let us understand better and become more aware of different perspectives mm -hmm. 
to use cognitive empathy to truly understand different perspectives and support them. Um, so thinking styles is a part of that. Uh, using an opportunity map, uh, which is a mental model diagram of all the yeah. parts of people, the patterns that people follow uh, to accomplish a purpose, and mapping your own way of supporting them against that to see mm -hmm. where the weaknesses are, where the gaps are, where you're only supporting one thinking style, mm -hmm. um, where in a way um, you can begin to more intentionally sketch out places uh, that are darkness to you mm. that you maybe just thought of as fog or they didn't exist. They mm. weren't important. And now, hey, you know, this is actually a way that we can unintentionally do harm. We need to know more. Um, I hear from uh, people who work at startups where the founders are experts in whatever the field is. And, it, you know, it's like, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, they, they try to do like the part of jobs to be done or the part of design thinking where they go out and, and talk to people. And they, they, they often, not all of them, but they often fall into that unfortunate ballpark where they, they'll go to the local coffee shop and ask people how much they like or don't like the thing that they created with, without like finding out if this person even had that as a purpose and would ever reach for such a tool mm. um, without yes. finding out if that person had done any thinking about mm -hmm. that particular thing and whether it matched their thinking. It's, um, it's spurious research. Yep. Right, um, up, right up to the point you asked me that question, never given it any thought whatsoever. Right. But now right. that you've asked me, I'm yeah. happy to furnish an opinion. Okay. Yes. Yes, exactly. I want to help you out. So I'll right. take a look at this. Yeah. You seem like a nice guy mm -hmm. and you're buying me coffee. Why not? I know. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, that's the, that's the, those are the tools that I want to give people. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not that you're doing it. I don't want to say you're doing it wrong, but you can do it a lot better and get much better traction out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it sounds like um, there's opportunities there for people to uh, use that, uh, that approach, the thinking styles approach, to ensure that they have um, greater representation from minorities, greater representation from different cultural groups um, in, in that data set so that those thinking styles are more representative and they are more... Um, yeah, yeah. yeah? Yeah, that would, that would come in at the place where you're framing and recruiting. Those are mm -hmm. two very important parts. Yeah. Um, so the demographic side of it are always fraught with assumption mm -hmm. and bias. Mm. You're like, oh, let's talk about the immigrants. And so like in your head, even if you are an immigrant, you've got your own idea of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so it can only be used super lightly to recruit, to make sure that we're, we're hearing from people who have done thinking about this purpose. Mm -hmm. And when I recruit, I make sure that I'm trying to, if I don't know what the thinking styles are yet, that I'm trying to recruit a broad enough swath. It, it's got to be framed by a purpose, though. Yeah, yeah.
Indy, I am very much looking forward to hearing a lot more when we see you at the Design Research Conference in, in mid-March. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. Um, we, we, we love your work and we, we love your writing um, and we look forward to uh, speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much. Yay, thank you. Thank you.